Raising replacement heifers, what kind of rate of gain should I look for? What are my options for raising those heifers? And what does the research tell us about how those will impact not only my preg rate, but my bottom line? Welcome to Bovine Science with BCI. I'm Brad White here today with Dr. Philip Lancaster on diving in and diets. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Brad. This is actually a follow-up. So we did we did an episode, and we said, okay, well, we've got the one episode here that we're going to put out on replacement heifer diets, and got a little feedback on some, hey, you guys didn't talk about what are some of the options for rate of gain. We threw out, I think, a pound and a half or something, mm-hmm. we said, uh, but we didn't look at other options, so we're going to jump into some of those. We also had some feedback because I threw out the number, 65% of your mature body weight. You said 60 to 65 is what we're looking for. There's some folks that have done some research that say we could maybe go lower. So what I'd like to do in this episode is further dive into those topics. And let's talk about what are some of the pros and cons of some of those intricacies as we put together replacement heifer programs. And I'm going to start with mature body weight. Just as a refresher, we talked about this last time. And one of the important points that that Philip made was being sure to have an accurate assessment of your mature cow weight, because that's going to influence all of our decisions going forward. You also talked about 60 to 65% was kind of our target. So as we wean these heifers, we want to think about 60 to 65% of their mature body weight is our target body weight, although they also have to meet an age threshold. If you want to listen to the longer version of that discussion, that's on our last bovine science with BCI diving into diets. But specific to this, Philip, our question was, At 65% of mature body weight, we may be spending a little bit more money, and there's research that's been done that would show us at 58% of mature body weight, we might be able to get there. So what's your response? I I mean, I think the research is accurate that we can get there at lighter weights, but it's specific to a certain situation. I think there's some things, I mean, this is is my personal thoughts um, on that, is that that research has been done in British breed cattle that are early maturing. And when we, we look at that research that's been done in the last uh, 10 to 15 years and compare that to that 65% of, of mature body weight, that, that came from research that was done back in the 1980s. Um, and so our cattle type has changed quite a bit from the 1980s. You know, scrotal circumference and selection for scrotal circumference has really took hold in the 90s. Um, and so... We know that that's related to age of puberty in heifers. So, okay, I was just going to remind you we're talking about heifers, and all of a sudden you went to scrotum. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll get you back on bulls, track. Yeah, so scrotal circumference in bulls is related to the age of puberty of their daughters, and so we've made a lot. We've made a, some genetic selection there, so maybe that's part of it. You know, if we got the right type of animal with the right herd. Maybe we have we can get by with a little less um, target body weight for those developing heifers because we have genetically selected for heifers that will achieve puberty at lighter weights. But then also, I think part of it is the production system that they were doing that research in. It was a spring calving herd. Um, those, they calved in, well, what I would call would be early spring. They were calving in um, March or uh, there and April, and then their breeding season was was going through Uh, May, June. And so the heifers needed to get pregnant in, say, June 
to be able to be one month or be 30 days ahead of the mature cow herd. Um, and so what they were able to do, they would grow those heifers kind of slowly through the winter, but then those heifers had a big flush of really good green growing grass that was high quality right as they're going through and into that breeding season. And I think that had part of partly to do with their ability to maintain a, a high pregnancy rate in that particular situation. I'm not sure you would see that if you were breeding earlier or later in the year for those same heifers at that same mature body weight. So we talk about, there are some other species, sheep, I'm thinking, mm -hmm. where we talk about a nutritional flush is really what helps them cycle. Is that part of the process here? And does that happen in cattle? I don't know. I mean, it could be. I don't know. We have research to, to say that. And I'm not a reproductive physiologist, so I'll leave that to Dr. Larson to, <laughs> to try to figure out there. But we also know that sheep are a seasonal breeder. And there is some data that shows that cattle are somewhat yeah. of a seasonal breeder, too. They're, they're, the pregnancy rates or the, re, the breed up will be better in certain times of the year than others. Um, and so yeah. there could be some, some benefits, or not some benefits, sorry, there could be some uh, mechanisms there with that spring flush of green grass and the ability to, to push those animals to. Yeah, because there's two, there's two components, and you bring up a, a really good point there. Seasonality should not be forgotten on cattle. We know that horses are really seasonal breeders. Sheep are pretty much seasonal breeders. And cattle have seasonal influence on their breeding. So there, there's been some research that's done. It's not as big of an issue in cattle, which is why we have cattle calving all year round. Mm -hmm. That and various other reasons, which we won't get into today, of why they calve all year round. But I think that's important. The other, and you mentioned, so at this, this rate may be achievable, your good pregnancy rate at 58, 59% of their mature body weight. My challenge with that, I, and I think that's possible, right? And you said, maybe it's this scenario, maybe it applies across because we've got different breeds of cattle and that's much more recent research than the 60, 65%. My real challenge with that is after you explained to me our mechanisms of capturing mature cow weight, I did not have a lot of faith that me that I can make a distinction between 58% and 60% or 62% because a few percent is a huge difference in the percent of them going to puberty. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I may be off by that much just in my estimate of cow. Oh yeah, easily, easily. So um, so yeah, you to if you to try to target that small of a change that you've, you've got to have a really good estimate of what your mature cow weight is going to be. And you probably need to have a really good estimate of what the mature weight of those heifers is going to be, whether those heifers came from some of the larger cows in your herd or some of the lighter cows in your herd, and, and do a better, much better job of individualizing those heifers. It gives, you, it gives you a much broader target to hit, right? I mean, if you're... If you were getting in, here's my advice, is if you were getting in a rocket ship and I was helping direct you and you're going to the moon, we should probably target the middle, not one of the edges. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. if you hit one of the edges, we could be way off uh, here. Oh, yeah. My distance from here to the moon and trying to precisely measure that I'm in, with my tools is yeah. not going to be very accurate. It's not going to be as accurate. So I think that's a, a good point. And, and I wouldn't argue with the question that could we go lower? Yes. And, and the reason that we would do that is economics, right? It's oh, yeah. because of efficiency. And then I could be more efficient with my 
feeding plan and I have to feed less resources to get them there. That same concept comes into play with some of the different rate of gain things that were brought up. So when we talked last time, we said, okay, at weaning, take a weight, come up with your target weight, figure up how many days you've got, simple math, mm-hmm. right? We just divide out. And basically what we have described is that's what, and I'm going to name some of these just so that we can um, talk about them. But that's what we would call the slow and steady, right? That's yeah, the tortoise going through, constant yeah. rate of gain. Yep. If you picture it on a graph, it's a line that just goes up at the same pace between weaning and breeding. Another option that's out there is I get them to gain a lot of weight early, so a fast, and then hold. Mm-hmm. And I've got a fast hold there. Or I've got an option of I don't have them gain much weight at all. I've got a slow and then fast, yes. right? Yep. So as you, as you picture those, what would be, and I want to talk about the fast then hold first, what would be the advantage or what would be a scenario where that may come into play? So in, in my mind, the advantage of getting them to gain weight fast early is because I have a feed resource that is high quality that is only going to be available during that early phase after weaning. So some specific examples could be I've got a fall annual, say like oats or something like that that I've planted that I want to take advantage of in a spring for a spring calving herd. It's really more uh, or higher quality than the cows need at this time. So my best use for that is for growing animals. And so I'm going to use that because it's going to be probably my cheapest source of nutrients. I'm going to graze that with those heifers there, and I'm going to put a lot of weight on them early right after weaning. But then I don't need them to gain as fast the rest of the winter. So if I can graze that through October, November, and December, then January, February, and March, they don't have to gain as weight, gain weight as fast, and I don't have to put as much feed into them or high-cost feed into them during that time period. But they're bigger. Yes, they are <laughs> so, bigger. So, so a lot of the – when we think about heifers and gain, and, and we used to talk about net energy for gain and net energy for maintenance. Yep. And, and I know some of those terms a little bit, little bit different, but if I think of it that way, I always have to meet the maintenance requirement. And I get a bonus. If I go above that, I can get gain in an animal that's ready for it, right? So that net energy for maintenance is a bucket that's the size of the animal, right? It is. I got to fill it up each time. So if if I follow your scenario and I gain them fast, I take advantage. Yes, that's better. And maybe it's uh, oats in the fall for those spring calvers, or maybe in the fall calver in the spring, they come onto green growing grass and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. However, now I've got a heifer that's hovering around 600 instead of 500 over that period. And I've got more maintenance. Would that impact my cost? Yes. Yeah, so, so there's a trade-off and you gotta, you gotta do the math from a cost perspective and think about, think about what's my cost difference in having them gain that way early on on a grazed forage that's cheaper versus what I'm going to have to spend to maintain a bigger animal later on. Because, yes, the maintenance requirements of that heifer are going to be higher for a longer number of days because I grew her fast early. 
Um, and, and what I said, I, I believe, is true, but it may not be meaningful, right? I mean, so they're a little bit higher body weight for a few more days compared to our compared to our slow steady, the tortoise, mm -hmm. right? They're gaining because yep. if I say I'm taking a heifer and she's going from for easy math, she's going from 500 to 800 pounds. Her average body weight over that period is 650, yeah. right? Over mm -hmm. that whole period. Whereas if I take this heifer and I take her from five to 650 or 700 and then hold her there, her average body weight over that period is instead of 650, it's 689. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's not huge. No, it's not a huge difference. Um, so, so yeah, it may not make much difference in your feed cost and I can do it cheaper or may, sorry, it may not make much difference in the amount of feed that she needs over that whole period of time, but I can use a cheaper feed because I'm using a grazed forage rather than a harvested forage or a um, purchased feed stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, Could, and, 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 it's, and we, we, we've been talking a lot about a f uh, spring calving scenario. You mentioned that fall calving scenario. Well, now I've got grazed forage throughout the whole thing. So I'm using really high-quality grazed forage in May and June to put extra weight on her and get her to seven seven fifty. But then she's using late summer grazed forage to maintain that seven fifty and to get on up to eight hundred. There's not much cost in that either. So in a fall calving situation, that's a really good deal compared in a, in a spring calving situation where I've got to feed harvested forages and feeds during that second part of the growing phase. It, it it's a little bit tougher decision. Depending on where you are in the country, the spring calving cow has a heifer. We wean it in the fall, and I may be providing the bulk or all of her nutrition before that heifer gets to breeding. Yeah. Oh, yes, right? definitely. In most cases. Uh, in the fall calving herd, that's not true, and in which case we need to think about what are the available forages because the scenario you described – Sounds like a, a cool season grass, right? I've mm, got some good yeah. early, and then it tapers off. Mm -hmm. Whereas a warm season grass could be just opposite of that. Depending on when my calving is, I may not have much early, but man, when we get to midsummer, that warm season stuff goes. Warm. Yeah, it just takes off. Yeah, and so that playing with that allows you to get those heifers where they need to. They don't have to gain one and a half pounds a day every day from weaning to a breeding. They they can gain different amounts throughout that period. Okay, so we talked about two scenarios, slow, steady, and then we talked about a fast and a slow, and we said one of the costs of it, you have to watch out, is the increased maintenance cost. What about the slow then fast? So what if, I, what if I start out, and I'll give you a spring calving scenario that's pretty easy. I'm going to start out, I'm going to wean them, and I'm going to feed them very little. We're going to have dormant forage that they're going to graze. I may supplement just the tiniest bit but they're essentially going to be on a maintenance ration. And then when we come closer to breeding, I'm going to feed them and probably feed them to get them to gain at a fast rate of gain to get to my target weight. What mm -hmm. pros and cons to that approach? So that the spring calving scenario that you mentioned is a, is a great situation for this scenario because I'm going to have to essentially provide every bit of her nutrition through a harvested feedstuff whether that's a forage or a grain and so it's going to be costly and so the advantage of letting her grow slowly early on is that I'm not spending as much on maintenance because now her average body weight is going to be less because she's not growing 
or she's not putting on a lot of weight until the last half of that growing phase. I can I can keep her smaller, let her grow slower, not put as much feed into her, and then at the end, I'm going to put quite a bit of feed into her to get her to gain pretty rapidly and get to that target weight by the start of the breeding season. Um, but I'm going to be spending less of that feed on maintenance during that period because she started out smaller. So I like where you're going with this. Any downsides to this approach? Well, the, so a couple of different things to, to be aware of in this approach is that there's a, there, in the research, there seems to be a minimum number of days on that higher energy-dense diet to get her to achieve puberty in time. And that number seems to be somewhere around 90 days or three months. So it's not like I can, can keep her small up until the month before the breeding season starts and then all at once put a bunch of feed to her and get her to achieve puberty. So I've got to pay attention to where I'm at in the process of going from weaning to breeding. And then the other, the other thing is that that second phase, I'm going to have a fairly high feed cost in that second phase because I'm going to have to use a lot more purchased feeds to get her to gain because she's going to need, probably need to gain uh, somewhere around two and a half pounds a day in that last period to get to that target weight rather than the one and a half pounds a day we talked about on that constant gain um, approach. Okay. So there's difference in feed costs and, and there may be some differences in availability. So we talked about before we talked about graze forages or some of the other stuff mm-hmm. with this rate of gain, depending on how far you want to push the envelope, this rate of gain graze forages are probably not an option. They're, they're, I mean, they could be an option, but they're definitely not going to be enough to meet it completely. So if I did have, let's say, some winter, or uh, I planted some ryegrass or some rye, cereal rye or something in the fall, and that starts to come on in late winter, early spring, I can use that a, a, in that ration and not have to feed hay and cut back on the supplement, but I'm not going to be able to get rid of the, the supplemental feeds. It's not going to be enough to get two and a half pounds a day. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an important part of it, and that's what I was going to ask about: is how fast is fast when you said fast growth? Yeah, and you're thinking two and a half pounds. Probably you need to do the math. I mean, depending on where you start that faster rate of gain phase, and do the math there. But yeah, I'm in somewhere around probably around two and a half. You don't want to push them up to three or over that because you, you'll deposit a lot of fat um, on that heifer which we know can have negative impacts on mammary development and milk, milking ability later on. So I still want to give enough days that I'm pushing her to gain faster, but I am not getting her over fat. Yeah. So we don't want to get over fat at, at any point before she comes into her first calf. Mm-hmm. However, some of the stuff on, on mil- milk production and fat in the other is even back to the pre-weaning time. Right. Oh, yeah. So I don't want her at any time to get over conditioned because mm-hmm. that's going to impact her, her future milk performance. So I want to, these three options and we've got the, the fast, slow, we've got slow and steady, and then we've got slow, then fast growth rate options, right? Mm-hmm. So if you picture those three in your head, those are three pretty different curves as far as body weights. However, what we, and we talked about the implications of feed costs to all of those. What we did not talk about is what's the implications to labor and management? And are there some pros and cons to those approaches from how much time I have to, because the one we just talked about, slow, then fast, I'm not doing much over the winter. 
right? And yeah. then I am out there every day feeding, providing a ration because I'm going to get two and a half pounds a day. I'm providing them a fair amount of feed and likely I'm probably going dry lot in that scenario. Oh, yeah, just feed probably. And I'm thinking about labor. You know, I'm, I think probably – um, depending on your situation, obviously, and, and what you can, how you have to mix and deliver feed, the labor for the slow constant um, program is probably going to be higher than the other two because I've got to be out there every day to deliver that supplemental feed that they need for that whole six months between weaning and breeding. But can I do it like, can I do it like, because in cows, you've told me before. I feed them every other day. I get the, basically the same effect because they've got that big old rumen, mm-hmm. right? Is I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't think that's exactly how you said it. But do heifers have a big old rumen that I can use to my advantage? Yes, they do. But that that feeding every other day or every couple of days only works with protein. So the the ruminant animal has the ability to recycle nitrogen from what's absorbed in the bloodstream back to the rumen, which allows her to keep a higher level of nitrogen over several days in that rumen for the microbes to grow and to digest forage. Energy doesn't work that way. I need to to get that slow, steady gain. I need to provide that energy every single day. And I, and I, otherwise, if think about, think about this way, if I have a, a energy supplement that's got quite a bit of energy in it. Maybe it's got some corn and starch in it. If I go out there and dump two or three days worth of feed in front of her and she eats it all in one day, I just caused a rumen upset because I dumped a bunch of starch in there all at once. And now she's not going to feel very good for the next couple of days. And then the next time I go out there to dump it, she has started to feel better and she consumes a whole bunch again. So So um, we're getting kind of a negative cycle. So, So big difference there between we talk about supplementing cows and going through versus supplementing these heifers, in which case we do need to be there with them every day. So probably slow and steady, fair bit of labor involved unless I'm using grazed resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the advantage of the other two components is, or other two programs is I'm probably going to use grazed forages in one phase or another of that. Um, and that then reduces my labor cost. Plus then I'm, hand delivering feed fewer days throughout that six month period. Okay. So let me lump together for this next question. Let me lump together the two that have multiple phases, a slow and a fast phase, whichever order they occur Mm -hmm. versus the slow and steady, which of those has the greatest margin for error? I know I might screw this up somewhere along the way, or is there a difference? Um, I would, I, part of it's going to depend on what feedstuffs you're using um, in that, whether it's a grazed forage um, in one phase or the other, or, or harvested feed that you have actually formulated a diet. Um, and so I, would, I, I think the, probably the, the greatest or the bigger risk of uh, screwing something up is probably in the slow rapid because... I'm going to, that's, that rapid phase is probably going to involve a formulated diet. And I've got to have an accurate estimate of what she started at as far as weight to get her there. If I, if I mess up and calculate wrong and, or, or estimate her weight at the start and I'm estimating too high, 
and so I don't feed her enough to get where she needs to be. I have no time to correct my mistake. With the rapid slow, if she doesn't get to where I need her to be after the first phase, um, I can look. I can make that estimate, and I can. I've got time to make an adjustment and give her a little bit more supplement so she gains a little bit faster during the second phase than I originally intended, and I can fix that problem. And then what about slow steady? Slow steady. As far as risk or very risk low risk, I think very low risk there. Um, I've got lots of time to correct any issues and and. Um, she should get there. But you bring up a great point is with all three of these, this is not a set it and forget it, right? No. When you're raising heifers, it's not a set it and forget it. And you just go on autopilot. You have to have some assessments, some metrics along the way. That may be an interim weight. It may be something else. But mm-hmm. I, I will use the example of the slow but steady. You cannot see, and I had a mentor tell me this once, you can't see gain. You can estimate weight, but if you're looking at cattle every day, you're not. You can't see gain. Are they gaining 1.5 or 1.0 or 1.75? Yeah, I can't see that. No, it's hard to see that. So, so you have to have some way to measure that as you go through. Mm-hmm, yeah, and you can, and it takes probably about two months for you to even see a visual change in size once you start feeding them. And so it longer if you look at them every day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're not used. You're constantly used to looking at them. Yes, that's true. Excellent. Well, great points. And I'm glad we had a chance to follow up. If you, if you have further questions, we certainly enjoy talking about heifer rations. You can send us an email at bci.ksu.edu.